Oh, yeah. Let's get it. It's 67. It's the first and only 67th episode. Thank you guys for being a part of this. We have Nick Vale on today's episode. And Nick Vale is an exceptional tricker. Uh, He had, you know, a huge, um, excuse me, hugely well-known, you know, several years ago in the tricking community, uh, has since moved into different areas including astrophysics and philosophy. And we get into kind of all of that and especially that transition between the two, which was, you know, super insightful and something that I kind of share, um, currently with my own sort of transition, you know? So I I think it's part of the conversation we've been having on the podcast here. I hope you guys find this valuable. And I certainly had a really good time talking with Nick and understanding what his was like. I mean, he had this insane, like you'll hear he had this disastrous injury and it almost you know i don't it literally almost killed him so i hope you get i mean it's just fascinating stuff um he learned a lot and we we really can't wait to have him back on there was so much here to talk about with nick and just the state of the world and um kind of how things are changing not just within our communities and for ourselves as individuals but beyond all that so i had a really good time i'm really glad that i reached out to nick and i'm really even more glad that he decided to come on and, and be a part of it and share his story with you guys. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. If you want to check out the description, you'll find ways to support the podcast. You'll find ways to get in touch with Nick if you want to. And, um, also thank you guys for being a part of the poll. We did a little Instagram post. So if you submitted a question, we really appreciate that. If you guys want to submit questions to our guests in the future, you'll follow us on the Instagram there. All right. Uh, that's enough for me. Let's get it with Nick Vale. We we're did a survey deep. of a few things. Yeah, we didn't yeah. dive in deep. Well, first, I guess, thanks for coming on and being thanks a part of it. Me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we were just talking about, there's a bunch of things I think we could go over, but one of the first things that we started discussing that I think is relevant is just that, you know, transitioning between mm. between an athletic run mm-hmm. or um, some kind of like journey into what's uh what's after that yeah and i think you had some really interesting insights on just like you know we both shared this path or this seeking of learning sure um yeah i think um i think that's a hallmark uh trait to people that do what we do mm -hmm. or did what we did however you want to look at it um you know the the movement art uh is is a very unique experience for learning you know mm-hmm. and often like we we're saying you know there's a um there's kind of a cross-section in your life where you're you're kind of primed to learn from that and sometimes it's a long time sometimes it's a short time and um, often if you're if you're really passionate about it it's hard to accept that your timeline is what it is, you know? So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Can um, you talk about that? Like what was your timeline? Like, you know, obviously a lot of people are going to know you from the tricking days. Like people that listen to this are are mostly movement enthusiasts. Um, you know, there's parkour listeners and we've had mostly parkour athletes as, Mm -hmm. as our, you know, staple of guests and like, we'll continue to do that. Sure. Um, so when I, Let's see. I started, I, ca- I came out of uh, similar sports to most trickers uh, in my era anyways, martial arts or gymnastics, something like that. I was a martial artist and I supplemented it with gymnastics. Um, I was, 
Oh gosh. I haven't thought about the timeline in a while. It's, I was uh, I was maybe 15 when I, I like really identified that I wanted to be a tricker mm. um, or just that I like doing this stuff. And then tricking, I think, came a little bit later when I realized that you could do the tricks and not do the chopping and punching and um, that they were different. And so that kind of came around 2007, 2008 for me. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I... I did what uh, I was kind of conditioned to do. I tried to do college. I went in the military. I did, you know, the um, white male American. Yeah, yeah. diet of of a young man here. (laughs) Yeah, and that, you know, and and I found that those were not things that um, really resonated with me. And uh, I started traveling due to tricking. And so tricking exposed me to a lot of cultures and belief systems and thought processes that I had never... I had never even, you know, I had never even conceived it. I mean, it mm. was one of the, it was a, a pretty solid dose of the you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. uh, type situation. That was mm-hmm. shocking for me. And so, um, where did you go? Like, uh, you were competing around the world, or were you just? There's a lot of tricking communities. I'm sure it's similar to parkour where you travel just to, to meet up with yep just the homies that are thrown down in yeah. different parts of the world <laughs> uh you know there was uh on messenger like msn messenger and like forums mm-hmm. and stuff is how we talked for facebook and uh, the first event i went to out of state was in new york the new york tricking gathering uh the mike mcguire and and those guys put it on and uh, i had never met these guys i had just seen some of their tricks talked to them they were forum names to me at the time mm-hmm. um and i flew out there and and this was this was crazy to my parents <laughs> they were like you know you're gonna fly out to new york people you've never met you don't know where you're staying I'm like i think i'm staying in a garage and they're like doing what <laughs> and so <laughs> um you know this this it was almost like my introduction into a nomadic life um mm-hmm that came from tricking. And so I, I traveled to New York uh, a bunch of times. Um, and I started traveling around the U S and then, um, I pretty much stayed in the U S while I was, um, really training on tricking. And then I had an injury in 2013 that almost killed me, but, um, I turned out okay. Um, and then after that I started traveling, I went to like Vancouver, I went to, uh, Germany, I went to, uh, France. I went to the Netherlands. I went to. Um, I went through the Middle East. I went to the Middle East. I went to Australia. I just did a whole. There was actually a uh, one trip that circumnavigated the globe, which oh, was wow. really cool. That's badass. Yeah. Sweet. Um, so that was like this. It was just a, an indoctrination into culture, and that was uh, something that was was really eye opening. Mm-hmm. for me so um that i mean that really kind of underpinned my whole tricking experience was being exposed to new things mm-hmm. um and seeing how they fit in with with tricking because that was the thing that that was the common thread everyone we didn't really speak the same language usually but mm-hmm. we spoke tricking and mm-hmm. so we were still able to connect and so yeah yeah i mean that is a language and it's yeah. in its own right right like these these movement languages i think that's definitely the way that they are perceived and it's like why it's fun to speak with each other you know you're just like oh sick we both speak tricking or parkour or boxing or whatever it is so i uh i finished um i think i didn't really have an official exit but um yeah going back going back to school was kind of the the line in the sand as far as my (laughs) deep involvement in tricking you know i have Mm -hmm. a peripheral involvement now very peripheral yeah 
So it's been almost three years and I just went back to my first gathering cause I had the time to, it mm-hmm. lined up on a weekend where I could go and I went to trick different in the, in the Springs, which Sweet. was awesome. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what, uh, what the line in the sand was just like, all right, I'm going back to school. Just, I know we talked about a little bit just like injuries and stuff and just yeah. getting older. You know, I hate to put any kind of like cap on it because sure. you know my cap my genetics whatever i'm gifted with whatever i did to myself the way i train and stuff it's going to be completely different from somebody else sure. and so and i don't necessarily feel like my you know i'm not, I'm, in, I'm not incapable of doing some of the things that i could used to do right it's just um uh what do you think is I think what we, were, what we were getting at when we brought this up is just like i think one of the biggest things i think you shared with me is that it's also just being drawn to continue your learning mm-hmm. or continue that, uh, that path forward. And it's kind of difficult, right? I mean, for me, it was difficult mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not, again, same thing. Like, I'm not saying that I'm outside of the parkour community, but it's just, it's been a difficult transition to understand, okay, where does the learning happen? Mm-hmm. Because like my timeline where I was getting the most growth out of parkour, it's, it's not it's definitely changed now you know mm-hmm. this like i still want to be involved and i still want to be you know talking about things and at least thinking about it and paying attention sure. to it to the things that are interest me in the community but um my growth as an athlete is is not like a priority right the same way it used to be right hey i mean yeah the, and that's that's a good point the, the growth of as an athlete you know that priority changes and i think also there's an identity piece to that right like mm-hmm. when when we were trying to figure out who we were i mean more so than now i think mm-hmm. um you know our, our our identity was really tied to what we could do with our bodies mm-hmm. and so and i think that's a really raw form of learning yeah you know where your your identity is because you can express things with movement and art that, that we just don't have words for, right? Words are a little mm-hmm. bit more precise um, mm-hmm. way of describing things. And so um, the line in the sand for me, I think, was tied to that, was learning. And, and you know, I had, I had a, a, a strong feeling about my... Uh, some of the things that I believed as a kid and, and tricking helped me identify that maybe I, I don't actually believe those. And I was maybe conditioned a little Mm. bit more by my environment to believe those. And so I sought new experience to help me rebuild a worldview, you Mm. know, one that was consistent with the way that I, with, you know, my, my intrinsic morals, what I thought was to be objectively moral about Mm. the, the world and, and the way that we should live as, um, as humans. And so, um, I, I was so entrenched in tricking. This was something that was like really painful was I was like in the thick of tricking. I had, Mm -hmm. you know, I was in the lifeblood of all of it. And, you know, I almost had a, I I, I hesitate to say like, like (laughs) the shave the head moment, but it Uh was, it was similar to that where it was like a, a, almost like a, like a burst of water in the face and I just took a step back from it all and said, you know, um, I think it was very clear to me that I was no longer learning. And Mm. then I could see in the environment that that was, that there were, there were things that were happening that were, um, uh, indicative of that, that I had stopped learning. And so, Mm. um, I wasn't able to push to answer problems. I wasn't, wasn't able to, um, 
spark development of ideas in the mm -hmm. people around me. And, and as soon as I realized that, I thought, you know, okay, this is my time to be done. And so um, I just said, you know, this is it and I'm done. And, you know, some of it was life stuff. Like I met my partner mm -hmm. now um, and she's an incredibly high powered woman. Um, so, you know, you have to have a similar kind of uh, energy to match that, you yeah. know, and she was, um, she helped kind of redirect some of the chaotic energy in my life into focus it in, into something. And school was my decision. She didn't, mm -hmm. I don't actually think she said that it didn't make sense for me to go to school at the time. Yeah. She's like, I think you have skills that you don't necessarily need to go to school and you can still use them. Like most people do mm -hmm. develop from tricking. But, um, you know, I, as, as a, like a, someone who's passionate about learning, I was like, well, you know, I don't know that until I try. Right. And we'll see, you know, and, yeah. and it turned out that this is a place where I am thriving. It's an environment where I thrive. So I'm glad that I did push for that. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. I think, was it, it sounds, I mean, you said it was difficult. Like, yeah. Was there things that were like particularly difficult about it? Oh um, yeah. With, um, I think yeah. my environment, um, uh, my, my, well, the familial piece of it, you know, the people that I was with, those were my family. I, you know, I'd traveled with them. There was some, one of my buddies, Tuna mm. Santana Padilla, um, him and I, um, him and I one time just, we had to, we had to problem solve. We we're in, we we're in a, a kind of a nexus of events and we had guests coming in and out of the state. We had to get one of the guests to California for loot kicks. And so we, we were like, all right, what do we do? And we exhausted all of our options. Um, and well, I had exhausted all of my options and I was kind of talking through them. Like, what do you think? You know, like I'm, I don't know what to do. And, um, like, I mean, what do we do? Do we just like drive out to California? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> that's what we do. And I was like, okay, that's what we're doing. And so, you know, we took, uh, you know, 48 hours to, to drive out to loop kicks. We were there for a few hours. We mm -hmm. dropped off Phil Gibbs and then drove back and we just oh. cannonballed the whole way. And it was, you know, 24 hours either Jesus. way. It was just like, I just told work, I was like, and they knew mm -hmm. they were like, you know, things come up on gathering weekends. And, yeah. and so they knew, and I was like, I, I need to, you know, I had like one class in the morning. I'm like, can we just have someone cover that? And they're like, yeah, you're good. And so we just like poof, dropped it and went. And mm -hmm. so things like that, you know, are, are unique experiences and they develop unique relationships. And so, uh, by shifting focus, you also shift focus away from some of those relationships. And that was really hard. Mm. You know, these are some of my best friends. E even now, these are some of the people that I do feel the closest with, even though I'm not as frequently in contact with them. Yeah. 100%. And that was, that was hard, man. Yeah. That was hard. No, I, I understand for sure. Like I, I've, you know, as I've just personally, I've drifted into, you know, just feeling like there's new, there's more things out here for me now mm -hmm. than, um, than just within that, the realm of what I was doing, athletic training every day. And mm -hmm. let's go out and, uh, you know, my exploration, like what I loved about parkour is the learning and the exploration, you know, you can explore the cities around you, the environments yeah. around you. I'm exploring different territory now in my own head and, and in you know, like different domains, different communities. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's huge, you know? And one thing that I think is kind of unfortunate, I don't really see it so much anymore, but I think it was a thing for parkour athletes back. I mean, it's always going to be a thing because it's just, it's funny to talk shit sometimes, but you know, <laughs> but when people kind of make this, um, 
you know, lots, lots of athletes kind of, they seem to like drift off into the ether sometimes, you know, for, from the community's point perspective, or they're, you know, they seem to get into things that like, what, what, why don't they just continue pushing on this parkour path or this right. tricking path or, and it's really hard from the inside, you know, when you care that much about it, maybe mm-hmm. to understand like what is going on. Right. And from the outside, like you might be, you know, some of these people are getting lots of more or less, I guess, you know, judgments about like, oh, you're, you're abandoning there, you're doing something yeah. that the, you're, you're, I don't know, just yep. like putting I've their own, it. their own, whatever. Is it a projection? I don't know. What a, sometimes I don't know how to use the, it's not exactly a projection. It's like a kind of just, yeah, whatever their insecurity might be about yeah. like their own dedication to the sport, like out onto you know, some of these figures. And I don't know if you felt any of that, like as you were, yeah. um, 100% doing that. But yeah, I think even if, yeah, even if you're, you know, is there anything that you did to combat that or, oh, or is uh, it just like, you kind of have to kind of, <laughs> well, we all have our moments our you know, good and bad <laughs> moments. And, and, um, so there were some times when I, I met that with mm-hmm. a similar type of hostility. And then there are other times when I, met it with empathy and I said Mm. you know if I was in your position that's what I towards you know there was kind of a phase where it was a little bit rough when I was leaving and um, you know and then I thought back on it and I thought well you know if I was in your position I would likely feel the same way and so there's like a degree of grace there where you're like you know if I and if I was that young in my tricking experience in fact, there were times when I was young in my tricking experience and someone left and I was right along with them, like yeah. angry about him. Like, <laughs> how could you leave us? You know, like yeah, I had yeah. such an emotional attachment to the guy that I watched YouTube mm-hmm. videos of, mm-hmm. you know, this is the guy that I like woke up and studied like, <laughs> you know, uh, technique yeah. and stuff. And then, you know, you leave, you leave tricking in that like. It's yeah, it's like it's like when your favorite character dies in a TV series, you yeah. know, you feel something about that. And so, um, yeah, I think empathy was kind of the answer later where mm. um i just but also i think that's a step of of the learning process you know yeah. empathy is not really something i was really taught mm-hmm. um by my mother yes but by my father no and so it that's like a a, a weak muscle it was a weak muscle mm. at that time and now i've spent a lot of time cultivating the idea of empathy and what that really means for me and and how to look at the world from someone else's perspective and um, put myself in their shoes before I make too much judgment about what's going on. I think that's, you, know? you touched something really important there. It's like, that's, that's something what I'm feeling right now too. And you know, mm. my, my own path. And I think what's fascinating about the, um, the athlete that, you know, makes the YouTube videos and skyrockets to some kind of like, you know, public stardom yeah. in some ways, or, you know, yeah. private, you know, this community stardom, is because they have this addiction to learning and like sure. they're feeling the growth within themselves. They're feeling mm-hmm. the, the, uh, and, but they're also so focused on themselves to get better, to mm-hmm. get better, can get increasingly better. I was listening to this guy in a martial arts class I was taking last night, talking to his people. Um, and he was just saying like, you know, the, the people that are often like stay in the community and, and um, or the great best coaches and stuff, for example, are not, the superstar athletes like the champions and stuff they're yeah. often like so focused on themselves to get to like a certain part you know to get to get to that competitive edge that they don't have the empathy or they don't right. have they're so singularly focused mm. and i think 
um, that's often what you know you you discover. So like, oh damn, I'm really you know you might even discover like I'm I'm more I'm too focused on myself. I'm too fo- like this is I want to grow into a more empathetic domain, or I want to mm-hmm. grow strengthen that muscle. Yeah, I think um, I think anomalies in in any sort of environment mm-hmm. have anomalous, uh, if, if that's the right word, uh, characteristics and uh, ad, like almost outlier characteristics. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right in um, in athletics, you do find that people that are that have abnormal discipline or um, abnormal genetics where mm-hmm. they can just train longer mm-hmm. than the rest of us can or whatnot. Those are generally paired with a single pointed focus. Yeah. And that single pointed focus makes them seem very self-centered and you know, to some degree, yes, they are. But also um, maybe it takes that kind of focus to use that talent they have. And yeah. you know, that's, and since it's abstract, it's, it's not conventional, you know, it's, it's viewed as, something mystic almost um uh and like i noticed there's an athlete in tricking when i was watching him come up Mm -hmm. um in like 2007 2008 velu um he he released a a sampler called homeless and you know i spent some time talking to him about what that sampler was and when i ran into him at a few events and he said you know he was training almost twice a day you know yeah consistently for weeks and he said the soreness just went away you know and Mm -hmm. so he was doing what he said like 14 tricking sessions a week and he the reason it was called homeless was he just lived at the gym he just stopped going home at sometimes and um i'm sure there's more to it but that's what i took away from it and that's what i remember you know 10 years later almost. And, um, this was a trait that he had, you know, he, he had some sort of combination of, of emotional and mental fortitude and physical characteristics and opportunity to train. They all kind of came together for this moment of, of insight that really Mm -hmm. launched him forward. And I know some of the people, um, looking back on it, I've heard some commentary about how, you know, he was maybe a little selfish at times. And I mean, maybe but <laughs> but again like we're saying you know like this is a unique person and and the unique person has a unique play on life and sometimes it might look really crazy but <laughs> that's just their expression you know they're expressing or expressing the same characteristics in a different way you know yeah. everybody has limits to what they can do and so uh, that's just kind of something i've i've thought of um in the past when thinking about the same you know scenario about you know was i being selfish was i uh-huh. And yeah, to some degree, but, um, you know, I was just doing the best I could with what I knew, you know? So, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think what's fat, what's awesome is that, you know, when you, the, the, these figures, like I'm not going to put myself on the, sure. the, the chart or anything necessarily, but I'm just saying like, I, I feel like understand both kinds of like all kinds of people that bring a community and make a community what mm-hmm. it is. And often some of these people that have this uniqueness about them and they're so singularly focused they can give something to the community yeah it's very selfish but also they inspire a lot of people mm-hmm. with that with that dedication mm-hmm. with that you know almost um obsessive kind of focus yeah and it can show you all it can show everyone what's possible and it kind of like raises mm-hmm. the bar and mm-hmm. often you know these are the kinds of people that kind of show us oh my god like 
we there's there's a whole other territories right. to look at yeah like, you know? maybe we missed yeah, all we of missed it, something you know? <laughs> um and yeah but it, it can be exhausting you know and, and like those people like it's it's like a this super giant star or something you know and we, we might have to get into some astrophysics or i don't know what your uh exact domain is but oh. the, the the blue super giants like they burn yes. hot and fast they die and they explode fast exactly. as well whereas there's like some slow burners and yep. stuff and you know it's cool because we can look at black holes and stuff to see right. these guys explode or whatever um you know but it's nice that we have our more medium-sized stars so yeah. we can all live Her and like, have star, this yeah. perfectly <laughs> inhabitable planet you know there's there's beautiful things that happen in both of them right um and without the black holes you don't have iron you know or you don't have like heavy metals and so right. we all need to play our part you know it's sure. it's not like any one of them is uh. better so it's hard to to be like he's selfish it's like he's just doing his thing right you know like that's or her thing yeah they, that's imp- it's important we all need that you know and this is maybe something that look you know tricking makes i think my experience in tricking made more sense looking back on it mm-hmm. not trying to project or like even see what was happening at the time it was it was always made more sense in reverse like mm-hmm. looking back on things the connections how everything worked and and you're right i think everybody had um a part to play mm-hmm. and uh you're right on the star analogy you know <laughs> there are some uh there are some entities and some situations that create these um these anomalies and for those those things give us unique things and so you're right we wouldn't have heavy elements if we didn't have neutron stars colliding if we didn't have super giants like flash boiling this stuff Mm. into uh, heavier elements and then we wouldn't have us you know and um so and and maybe us now is you know analogous to the tricking in the movement community as before i mean some of us like i wrecked my body Mm-hmm. badly for the sport and i i feel like i did i i made it better in doing so and it's not that like i'm i'm not upset about it that was i think that was just my role my mm-hmm. role was to um be really intense and and put a lot into it and then boom flash out and that mm-hmm. was um you know it took an injury like <laughs> To stop that kind of passion requires yeah. a pretty dramatic injury or two in my case. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you don't listen the first time. Life will do it to you again. You'll tell you listen. And so, yeah. yeah. And, you know, by no means, like, I still can do tricks. I just yeah. realize that, you know, maybe maybe this is not my greatest contribution mm-hmm. anymore. And that's, I think, the trouble that a lot of these, you know, stars, if we're going to stick to that analogy, these mm-hmm. hypergiants or whatever, um, I think a lot of these people struggle with that transition mm. moving on. Like how, do, you know, I've always been the guy to push the limit or I've always been the guy to organize everyone. You know, what do I do now? And mm. that transition is really difficult. Yeah. Um, I talked to my buddy Scott about this and he, um, you know, he's been going through, is he, you know, he's a psychologist. And so he, uh, he really has, um, I thought put a lot of thought to this and you know i don't know if i've put nearly as much as him but some of the things that have come out of that conversation were uh interesting to say the least you know like think about uh the type of person it takes to be you know your i don't know the analogs in in parkour but like your michael guthrie's or whatever yeah, you know yeah. what i mean like the type of person right now there's a guy named dom tomato who's kind of like dom tomato his name is dominic tomaso oh okay. tomaso he's australian oh. um he's one of many just 
it's unbelievable the right. amount of content he puts out. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable, like how his body is just mm-hmm. conti- he, like he's past. He must be past the sore stage, right? Or he just yeah, where he just don't it. get yeah. You're like I don't know what's going on. That's you know, it's like your your show says, yeah. and and these people and tricking and and you know, uh, your identity has always been tied to your ability to produce that mind numbing content. You know, it's kind of like people in. Um, in my realm and like astrophysics, you know, like they're just trying to look for the, can I swear? Yeah. Okay. They're Say whatever the fuck you want. Okay. You're I'll, looking I'll go for, first. <laughs> um, they're just looking for the next like mind fucky thing to say, mm-hmm. you know, to, to give them their clickbait fame. And, uh, similarly you're looking for the next like mind fucky thing to happen in tricking mm-hmm. or, or in parkour where you're just like, the, the body can do this, How you know, can, like, like we're yeah. seeing, you know, full ends at the end of combos and tricking and stuff like that. Oh and so, God. but then what do you do after that? You know, like you, you have your identity so tied to pushing the perimeter of tricking and, or movement and building a greater area. And then what do you do? Maybe your, your best attributes was that now what? And so there's mm-hmm. like an identity crisis associated mm-hmm. with that. And, um, that's something that maybe people like us on the other side need to do better to explain and, and help, help those triggers transition. And mm-hmm. sometimes they don't want that help because they don't want to accept that maybe it's time to, to stop doing what you're doing a little bit and transition to something yeah. else. Still have a hard time accepting it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, in that's some ways, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, the, you know, it's like, I'm uh, like, you know what? I can still, I can still get I can it. Still do like, this, yeah. You know, there's um, parts of me, but yeah. Isn't that kind of what, so like Bruce Banner said in the Avengers, like that's the secret, right? I'm always angry. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, I'm always fighting that urge. You know, mm-hmm. you just get better at fighting it and mm-hmm. you get better at accepting it. And, and you never really do to, to have done the things that we've done, you know, like, yeah, no, hundred percent. It's hard to accept doing well, something we less say with leave your body. The community or leave tricking. It's mm-hmm. not like we actually left. It's like, you know, you have a friend, I've, yeah. got, I've got friends in college or from high school even, and when I see them, we pick up right where we left off, right. you know, and it's just like, that's, that's, that's the sign of a healthy relationship in some ways to sure. me. And it's like <clears throat> my true, my, my, my good friends, the ones, the reasons why they are still friends with me from way back in the day or whatever is because we can pick up right where we left off and we can spend years apart or yeah. who knows what. And they're just kind of like, yeah, but we're still doing it, you know? Right. And cause we both, we all accept each other for, our own journeys and the, right. the things that we're doing, exploring individual as individuals. And, um, and I guess there might be some kind of through line, you know, in, mm-hmm. the, in some of the challenges we're facing and that's why we are still very close, but, sure. uh, you know, that's because everyone's kind of got like a universally, you know, themed path through life in some ways. If you're, if you're roughly the same age, you're probably yeah. figuring out some of the same things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and, and common struggle is always important, you know, like, to use a militaristic analogy. I mean, like you went to battle with these, you went to battle with these guys and, um, you know, it's something that you two understand or you three or you four understand that nobody else understands, you know, like road trips are big and tricking and, you know, so there's like always something special with each road trip group that you go to and, you know, time has no effect on that usually. Yeah. So, um, it doesn't degrade it at all. Well, that's tough too. Is like when you have some of the, some of your best friends are, in different parts of the world yeah. from from making these trips true and then you don't you, you really don't can't just be constantly traveling to see right. them anymore and so i can't just go hang out you know, in Brisbane. it's again like <laughs> yeah like, you know i miss some of the people that are you know in europe and in parts of uh different parts of the world right now right. and 
I hope to go visit them again soon, but also it's just like, and I know that when it's we do see world. each other, again, it's going to be right where we left off. Yeah. It's just, um, yeah, it's just part of it, part yeah. of this thing. So, yeah, man, thanks for shedding some insight on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hope, I don't know, I, I felt like, I felt like I had a uniquely painful oh, yeah. uh, exit due to injury. And so, well, you had um, to, what would happen? Can you go dive into it a little bit? Yeah. Um, From what I remember, <laughs> box cutter. Yeah, box cutter, man. With uh, extreme consequence. Extreme consequence. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was a very effective box cutter. Mm. Just didn't cut the box. Um, so, uh, yeah, I had, um, I had an injury. I was, um, I was pissed off and I was tricking and that was like something that you, you learn when you're like a power mover in tricking, mm -hmm. you know, you can only do so many times you're rolling the dice more, more so than, uh, normal, you know, mm -hmm. a, a, a calm and focused power tricker is generally a safer one, mm -hmm. but a pissed off power tricker, especially one that likes to kick, yeah. you know, that's not great. You're landing on one leg and like any, anyway, so I ended up landing uh, with my joint, my right leg mis misaligned. And so I had a subluxation of my, my right knee. Um, and I tore the list is long. <laughs> so bear with me. I tore my FCL, which is commonly your, called your LCL, um, my PCL, um, my popliteal ligament and tendon. Um, I had a partial tear to my ACL, partial tear to my MCL, both of those. Well, the, the ACL is still partially torn, but it's fine. The MCL healed. I had a spiral tear to the uh, meniscus, oh, my medial meniscus. So I hadn't, uh, I don't remember what the anatomical turn is, but it was like a... The medials are the inside, right? Yeah. So like your, your meniscus is kind of like this, mm -hmm. what is it? Like... It's like this oblong shape. Oblong, yep. like figure eight kind of shape. Yeah. And on the inside piece, I had two tears, one on the interior and the exterior. Mm. Um, and then I broke uh, my, my, my tibia, and then I broke the head off of my fibula, and then my oh hamstring my attached. Jesus Christ. Um, my, well, it was my biceps femoris, the, the short head hamstring detached. And that was the one that almost killed me. Um, <laughs> so they thought that I had, uh, understandably, they thought that I had um, torn my femoral artery. Oh, and Jesus. so when we were in, uh, I went to the ER like immediately, like we knew um, right away that something was wrong. And um, I didn't release the video because I didn't think that um, insurance companies would want to insure tricking if they saw it. It was like oh, wow. a cinematic angle. Oh damn! You know? Yeah, Jesus so, Christ! A uh, cinematic. <laughs> I can think of it now almost. I don't want to, but it's, it's bad. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so I kind of made like, you know, a creative decision on that one. Just like, mm -hmm. just not going to release that. And so that's smart. That's uh, that's that's. I didn't think of that, but yeah, that can yeah. that could probably could affect could do some damage for sure to the, the insurability. I mean, there you've seen trickers on like Tosh that like doing double tucks to their back and just like knocking themselves out or whatever. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that is not the publicity <laughs> that movement art needs, you know? So no. anyways, um, I was sitting in the ER and they were like kind of discussing prepping me for emergency surgery because my blood pressure was not right. And so mm -hmm. that's where I was like, Jesus, what do you, what do you mean? And they're like, well, if you know, if you've tore your femoral artery, we have like minutes to fix it or you might bleed out. And I was like, Holy cow. Shoot. Get in so there. I was like, yeah, I was like, <laughs> let's do it, man. Um, he said, but if we do that, you'll, you'll be looking at an amputation. Oh my God. That's from the knee down. 
fucking horrifying and frightening scary, I imagine right? for you especially especially being at like the prime of my your, tricking your tricking career and you're just like yeah all right savage injury all right right go to the hospital all right you might lose the leg or you die and you're like, like i guess i don't want to die but jesus christ you know, like holy crap as man, a that's zealous tricker I, I was thinking i was like I well maybe i'll just die because if i can't trick you know but um, <laughs> yeah you actually weigh in the options at that point you're like you know what <laughs> i need to make a decision guys <laughs> but God, um, damn that's intense so then i went to my first doctor and he said um the first surgeon um and he said no i can't operate unless the only thing i can do is i can lash it down and then we'll need to amputate and i said okay so it's my first opinion my second opinion i was like well let's, let's see what else there is out there um and i went up to stedman hawkins and uh, met with uh, dr leprod and he's 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 the guy you know he's the key opinion holder on complex knee reconstruction in the world mm-hmm. and so um he said well you know we have some we have a procedure that we're still working through all the details, but it seems to be working really well. Um, if you're okay trying this, we can try it, but uh, you should be good to go afterwards. I said, really good to go. And he's like, yeah, you're going to be regenerating the ligaments in your knee oh, to wow. some degree. With stem cells or what yeah. do they use? Uh, so I'm not, I'm not a doctor, not, you know, and nor, but, nor am I, but I can explain <laughs> what he explained to me. Okay. And, you know, uh, he wrote a paper on it. I think, um, he presented research. I was able to be there for the presentation of this research. It was mostly about the bracing mechanism that he used. We mm-hmm. helped develop a brace for, uh, PCL reconstruction and it worked like amazing. Oh, it worked wow. amazing. It changed the shape of your knee as you moved and mm-hmm. to minimize the pressure on your PCL. So you didn't stretch it out, oh, which is cool. the big issue. Like your yeah. PCL like stretches out in a reconstruction. PCL is the one that goes outside. It's the one that stops or your shin from moving backwards. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's behind the knee almost? Yeah, it's 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 like in you the could center think of it of as it. behind the knee, yeah. yeah. Um it's it crosses in the middle of the knee, but mm. it's it's the ACL is like a secondary support structure. The PCL is your primary oh, support the, beam at your knee. Is that what the P's for? Primary? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, sorry. So um what he said was he's gonna take two Achilles tendons from a, a cadaver and he's gonna oh, wrap yeah. them. Um and then he's gonna uh, set them on the nat- the sites of the PCL, so where it actually is. So at the um, the the lower portion of the knee, and then the upper portion of the knee, and and I guess the connections are similar to native tissue. So like the tissue that you grow mm. um, naturally. And so what your body does is your body identifies that the PCL is there, but there's something wrong with it. Needs to heal it, and so it because tr- the PCL can heal. It's it's so vascular that you can oh, have wow. a partial tear and it'll just heal like a muscle. It's wow. it's pretty impressive what this ligament can do that's nuts so the body attacks it and forms a um uh forms tissue and um a blood structure around it and then um begins to heal the ligament the ligament and then after a while the interior portion that he put in dissolves and blood systems run through that so you regenerate the pcl in this way um and it was contingent on this brace working mm. and this, and I, I got the first one. In fact, it's in my closet and it's, and like the, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but whatever, um, <laughs> the, uh, the cables on it are actually cut off the engineer who made it off of his bike. They're oh, like wow. bike cables. They're like just, this is the first this is the one fucking prototype. For, this is the first this one. Is Mark yeah. Zero. Right. Wow. And, and so I used it and I trained on it and I ended up working with the company that, um, developed it. Oser. I did some product stuff for them and I did a, um, I was the model in their line and like that kind of thing. And so, uh, but it took about, 
took about 18 months to feel right again. Um, and you know, in that time, every milestone was, was not guaranteed. And so, uh, after surgery, uh, they put, uh, and this is, this is part of the journey, right? So, okay, well, so they did, um, they did the surgery in one, one sitting. He did it in one shot is five and a half hours they had to stop the surgery at one point because i was like on the verge of a heart attack and it was really bad um and then uh it's obviously not what they call it but um afterwards there was i mean i had um opium pumps into my i don't know what it was some kind of opiate was like pumped into my hip um and i had like i was on like oxycodone hydrocodone oxycodone all at once plus this pump plus like uh, a few other things for like inflammation and actually no that was the thing i wasn't allowed to do anything for inflammation because i had to have a natural response they could uh-huh. only dull the pain oh, so i had to go through all the issues of like an extremely inflamed uh inflamed knee and joint and stuff and so through the process i mean it was months that i was i was in this like like drug induced <laughs> just haze is what it felt like i wow. mean i i went under February 22nd of 2013. And I felt like I heard music. I saw lights. I was underwater for what felt like months. And I just like woke up. I had, I had this kind of, kind of fuzzy dream of doing some things and maybe being around places. My girlfriend at the time, my mom, different places. I just, that is, and it was like April. Wow. I had wow. my birthday had literally passed. been a few months. Yeah, my birthday had passed. I was a different age. I was what um, in the world, dude. That I was more savage. Yeah, and, and I was coming <laughs> back down off the medication, and and you know, I, I fell into withdrawals. Mm. You know, where your skin's crawling, and um, which was really scary at the time because my hamstring was starting to heal, but uh, the withdrawals cause you to like Seize. flinch almost. Mm. And that flinching was tugging on the PCL. Oh, and it, it, oh. oh yeah. And so we had, I went back up on opium and so, uh, it was uh, hydrocodone and, and so we went back and forth and I kind of went in and out and in and out. And then, you know, it's June now and, uh, you know, I'm holding my mom's hand and I'm like relearning how to walk, you know, and I'm 24 years old. And so it was, it was a hell of a transition, but that's the kind of thing that you needed, I think, at the time, uh, to tell me that you know maybe I should explore other traits, mm-hmm. you know, uh, within tricking. Yeah, not I can just imagine what I do. You know, well, certainly, like, yeah, if you're, you know, when you're in the hospital for that long, I mean, it's a haze. But even as you're, mm-hmm. when you have the inability yeah. to express yourself in that domain anymore there's literally no other option yeah. than to start like exploring and strengthening other parts of yourself. Right. Yeah. I mean, I and, thought that my only contribution was what I could do physically. Yeah. And, and that was the farthest thing from the truth. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. And that's like something that has become a theme on the podcast because, you know, having gone through a similar, not, not actually not even close to a similar thing. My stuff is more chronic than like yeah. this huge, um, explosion of an pain injury. Is pain. Pain Whatever, is pain. Man. But, uh, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's been part of my journey. I've talked about it a little bit. It's just, yep. you know, you have to, you have to pull these other parts out of yourself and it's really Certainly. important to just let like people know, I guess, you know, that's partly what I'm trying to do is like, it's going to be something that happens to a lot of people, you know, especially the people that we love the most that are yeah. contributing, um, 
that extreme focus for yeah. for an extended period of time yeah in, in the sport <clears throat> but like you said it's it's so cool and it's actually a really beautiful thing when you start to understand that okay like that's not going to be my value right. it's not the, the only thing i can contribute that's part of my contribution and you know now you're you're on a, a new path you know of sorts uh you, you're studying at cu here yeah and um you know you're doing some really cool work as far as i understand it with space <laughs> yeah actually Can you talk about that a little bit more sure so i'm curious um, to see like what what's or is there anything else you wanted to say about that that final transition or like no, to no, athletes that, out there but i think um I think it's probably clear why uh, I looked at other other ways to contribute. <laughs> Jesus, dude. I didn't know it was that bad. I mean, yeah. I had no idea, actually, yeah. that, you know, with the opiates and stuff, too, like, yeah. how did, you know, when you came off of that, was there, obviously, you had the withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. That could be, that could, that can take people out as well, like, just in so it, many ways. You know, I, I mean, see why people fall into madness. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, I think you know, we talk about the opioid crisis, Mm. you know, and, uh, it's really hard for me not to like feel for those people now, you know, because it probably was a bad decision initially, or it was probably a medical decision and it's so hard to get out of. I mean, Mm. my mom is, so my younger brother, um, deals with, uh, epilepsy. And Mm. so, uh, around the same time we were looking at, um, cannabis solutions for his epilepsy, which have been extremely, the CBDs are crushing it out for these epileptic problems right now. It's been so helpful. And so at the time we were looking at that and I, um, I told my mom, she didn't know that I smoked at that point in my life. And I was like, yeah, you know, um, I want to try smoking because, uh, what they're giving me is not really working Mm -hmm. to help wean me off of it. And Mm -hmm. and we, you know, she's like, okay. And so, um, I smoked and, and the skin crawling went away Mm -hmm. almost immediately. Actually, it was really impressive. Um, and so the joint stuff, like the joint pain, um, the like itching at the joints that didn't go away, but the, the crawling went Mm -hmm. away. And, and so it made it bearable. Mm you know, I could use the martial arts. I could use my discipline to get past that point. But the skin crawling is the hardest part, I think, to deal with, with withdrawal. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, holy cow, was that a, a, just a phase of discipline? Like I've, I can't tell you how many times now, like I'm in school and I'm going through a lot of stress or something. And, and even with research, which I'll jump onto, um, cool. I, uh, I tell myself, you know, like, you know, there's, it's been worse. All storms die. You know, mm. like if I got through what I got through before, I can get through this. This is nothing compared to that really. So, but moving on to the, the research thing. Um, so I, uh, my research right now is mostly focused on what's called the Kessler syndrome. What, tell us about the Kessler syndrome. I got, <laughs> okay. got no idea what it is. So I'm uh, very fascinated so, with modern physics and stuff. So from a scientific standpoint, uh, there are there are a few things that you really are worried about as far as catastrophes in the world. Uh, there's like climate change, overpopulation, um, and then the Kessler syndrome. It's the one that most people don't know about. Um, but uh, the Kessler, Kessler syndrome uh, was proposed by a uh, NASA scientist, I think his name was Donald Kessler. I don't know. I, I think that's his first name is just Dr. Kessler. And mm-hmm. so he proposed that if we continue going to low earth orbit and beyond and putting junk up there, we're going to create a, an inevitable cascade failure. 
So the speeds that these objects are moving are upwards of like four, five miles a second Mm -hmm. is how fast they're moving. In orbit. In orbit. Just regardless of like, I mean, further out in orbit, they're going faster. Is that... It's Does it matter? complicated, okay. but yeah, yeah some of them, yes, yeah, some of them know. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So kind of feel you. Yeah. They change their position relative mm-hmm. to, to the earth. And, and if, but if you didn't change your position relative to the earth, it would be a little more clear cut. But, yeah. um, so yeah, like a, a fleck of paint can down a whole satellite. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you get like little BB sized things hit a satellite and, and portions of it will shatter. And that now became becomes a whole field moving where the satellite was. And so then those satellites can almost sweep out entire areas. Oh, wow. And so um, the Kessler syndrome is, uh, again, from a mathematical standpoint, if we don't deorbit a lot of this stuff, it will cause a cascade failure um, across like low Earth orbits. St- well, maybe not low Earth orbit, but the stuff that's like that we really worry about with human travel, um, like the ISS has mm-hmm. to routinely move around debris fields now. So this is putting like the lives oh, wow. at stake. It's putting science at stake, you know, the science they're doing. It's extremely expensive to deal with. And so what we've been doing is we've been trying to look for uh, non-contact uh, solutions to move debris. Um, and we were looking at electrostatic forces, almost like when you rub a balloon and then you, you like try and pick up paper with it. And uh, so okay. we, um, we look to see the program that I do this through is, is NASA's space grant. It's a Rocksat X and it's a suborbital rocket that goes up, hits microgravity and you run an experiment and then it comes back down and it's a reusable rocket. Um, and what we're looking at doing is during that microgravity time frame, we're trying to see if we can influence mm. a, um, see if we can influence a, a particle's trajectory. And if we can do that, we can prove that this force can do that. Cause there are a lot of, challenges with moving aerospace stuff you know they're non-magnetic you know oh, you don't yeah, want arcing. Have to be, right? they'd have to be right and so you get like aluminum and, and these kinds of things and so we have to find a way to interact with that material because grabbing it is just really not an option so it's just moving too fast and it's too it'll just it'll blow up whatever it's the hand that's trying to grab it yeah. right and <laughs> and additionally it's insanely difficult to like have a robotic arm grab something that's mm-hmm. moving um it could like maybe chase it from behind and like, but again, there's no it's so magnetic. Hard, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, that's so it's it's a challenge. A <laughs> it's a challenge, right? And so I've I spent about two years focused on that, um, and I'm done in August. I'm done with that portion of research in August, and I move on to uh, high energy physics experiments. Oh, cool. So, um, I think I think research is probably the way that I'll go. I mm-hmm. seem to like it. it. Seems to work. So, so um, but again muscles that i never really flexed in tricking <laughs> you know yeah and that's what's so cool too is like i'm excited to because you know tricking didn't maybe flex these muscles but they set you up for this next you know this like what, what, the things oh you've God, gone yeah. through put you in this resist like robust um mindset yeah you know you you to overcome not just everything that you did in tricking but to overcome that violent exit right <laughs> that that is giving you this it seems like an extreme and powerful tool set for for applying yourself to this new domain and additionally like the the things that you learn in tricking i mean you learn discipline you learn to wake up and train you learn to like say you're training for a trick or an event or something that's down the road mm. you know that the actions you take today matter and that's something that a lot of 
students that I, I run into don't realize. Mm. And so I'm able to train now for things that are in the future and I do so rigorously and it's new to them. Mm. You know, I, I talk to some of these kids and, and adults even, and you know, the idea of training math after the semester is just crazy to them. Like, well, yeah, you'd go to a gathering and then immediately come back in session. Why would you, why would you kill it on a final and then not go and refine your stuff afterwards and get ready for your next class? And it's just like this new idea to them. And so, um, the things that make you successful in movement art certainly make you successful in other places in life. And this has shown up now in, in STEM and astronomy. And so, yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see like you know it's cool to to see like, what people are doing too. Yeah, when when they take that and they apply themselves outside of it because, you know, we are still all a part of this community and like I want to celebrate the fact that we all end up doing another thing, another contribution, a new contribution to the Kessler problem or yeah. to who knows what. You know, there's so many cool things that for some reason there's a lot of space stuff going on. We had a another I mean, I don't know if that's just like a different you know, that's one of the challenges we're facing now is just as a civilization. Is like there's a lot of this space exploration mm-hmm. ideas and also, you know, we have these problems that I don't even know about, the Kessler one. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, but yeah, we're, we're looking at new being in a finite planet, right? Like this is the mm-hmm. whole Thanos thing, right? There's a finite resources, finite planet, and we are expanding without, without limit right now. And so you naturally run into your borders and the borders right now are the, are the planet. So, um, plus technology has really jumped forward, mm. like really jump forward. I mean, I look at the stuff I learned in physics. It's like wizardry, the things you can know. It's really impressive. Like I'm consistently in awe to the things that I thought were science fiction. They're not, they're real. And so now we're just finding, I'm like, what's what's uh, one of the things is wizardry. Okay. So there's a a concept (laughs) called quantum tunneling that's really cool. And so what it says, there's this probability distribution where a particle can be. And if you put a barrier, uh, somewhere in that distribution, it doesn't affect the distribution. So you could have like a like little quantum box that has a particle in it. And there's a chance that it, if you measure this particle a hundred times, 20 of those times, it's going to be outside the box. And it's just going to pass right through. doesn't matter what the material is. And it turns out this idea of quantum tunneling, like it's kind of, it's like teleportation almost. Mm-hmm. It's essential for the fusion process at the center of the sun. It has to be there for us to have the universe that we have for us for there to be life and you know when when you first think of, you know how can something like it'd be like you being in a jail cell and mm-hmm. then waking up on the other outside and like you went through the wall almost <laughs> you just appeared on the other you teleported to the other side it's it's that weird yeah it's almost science fictiony, is right? There only, is there any explanation or are they just kind of like, well, we know that it happens and we just don't know how or why yet? Well, we do know how and why, uh, but the English language is not <laughs> great to describe that. It's a mathematical thing. Oh, and okay. so um, simply put, though, there's a there's a, a distribution of where, where um, a particle could be. And then when you measure it, Sometimes it's here, sometimes it's there. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a higher chance it'll be in the middle, but there is a chance it'll be on the outside. And uh-huh. again, you run the experiment a thousand times, you'll see it 200 times on the outside or uh, whatever, whatever, one time, I don't know. So there's anomalies again. It's anomalies. It's that's, cool. That's badass. I mean, that's, yeah. that's just fascinating. Like, I love that, the way that the deeper we go into the universe, like trying to mine knowledge, <laughs> yeah. the more it just kind of like it's mind mind fucks us. <laughs> just yeah. like oh yeah well check this one out and like, right right uh, oh, okay well we have a new paradigm right um so 
Yeah, man. I, I mean, I could. I, I want to know about these things. What are the uh, What are the applications of that, if if any? Oh, I don't know. That's not really my realm of physics. Yeah. All right. Well, so, um, day we'll get will blow up. But I'm sure we'll that there like are a... applications. But I mean, even if there isn't, someday there will be. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and modern society is not really catching up. I well, I don't know. It's that's not. It's kind of a bad statement. Cause, cause like everything that we're doing right now is based on quantum mechanics. Like the way mm. that these works, works mm. on quantum mechanics, the, the recording devices, everything, you know, uh, is explained almost perfectly with quantum mechanics. And, and that's just what, not the why mm. the why is really hairball math, but what and how, you know, are well, well understood. And I'm not necessarily sure it lets us travel back in time, but um, like in <laughs> but right but, when we think it won't, then we'll figure out it. Maybe it is maybe a possibility, it probably, right? Yeah. It's just like, it's insane. The parallel universes. I don't know, man. That's, um, it's exciting. It's exciting. It's always exciting to be alive here and yeah. be a part of all this. It is. Uh, yeah, I'm fascinated to see where it all goes. I mean, it's certainly, like you said, we have these finite feeling resources mm-hmm. and. What do you see are the, the struggles with that? Um, I know that this is kind of a massive can of worms to open, but yeah. just like, is that, is that something that you're, you're, you're actively concerned or you, you concern yes. yourself with? Yeah. Um, really quick. Yeah. Go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Go for Talk. it. Bathroom break. Bathroom break. I'm just going to hang out for a second. Where's the bathroom? Uh, just down there to the right. All right. All right. I got a long answer for you. All right. Perfect. Yeah. This has been fascinating i'm super pumped let's see if there's any questions i posted to the instagram story yesterday boys and girls some questions maybe you guys submitted some questions to ask nick vale maybe i let's see here we have some responses yes I'm so, I'm 30 as fuck and I don't even know how to use Instagram. How do you, how do you look at these? Why, why can't I look at my responses? Okay, here we go. Nice, we got a few responses. That's how we'll wrap this thing up. Thank you guys for listening. I'm just going to riff here. If you're watching the YouTube, you can see me eating orange slices like it's halftime at Pee Wee Soccer. Mm. <laughs> no, no, no worries. That's actually perfect timing because oh. I got to look and see if who replied to a oh, story. Okay. I posted some just to pull got to it. see if anyone has any questions for you. But let's go address this yeah. this beast of a question about okay. the, the finite resources of the planet. Um, and then we'll jump into fan questions and then we can wrap up. Uh, okay, so finite resources, overpopulation, that kind of thing. Am mm. I worried? Is that what the question was? Yeah, I mean, there's something we were touching on before we started recording. And I'm just yeah. curious to see yeah, like mm. what your thoughts are and where you're, where you're sitting with that. Because um, I think it sounds like you have thought about some of this stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm so one of my majors is philosophy the other Mm -hmm. is astrophysics and so um this is a big topic in ethics right now Mm -hmm. you know like what what are the ethical um considerations when it comes to overpopulation and such and so uh short answer is i don't know but um 
it's I, I'm worried about overpopulation if if we don't adjust um, some of the practices, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, but I think it, it ultimately comes down to a value system thing. Um, there's this debate around something called speciesism, you know, where mm-hmm. we give more weight to our species than other species. And, and Eat it, insects. <laughs> Take a hike. Yeah. Birds. So, Grow some hair. Yeah, do something useful, Do I guess. something. Uh, so <laughs> the... An example of this would be, um, you know, I want to save the bees, right? Because the bees are essential to the food system, which maintains us. Mm. You know, it, you're packaging this message in, um, and we should save the bees. Yes. Like I'm not condemning this idea. <laughs> I'm just saying that generally speaking, that idea comes around to this over, um, or it's, it's extra weight given to the human species mm. where we want, we don't want to save the bees for the for the bees reason you know because we yeah. should have bees and bees have value it's because without them we die mm. and this is kind of a speciesist thought and so i don't really know how i feel about that because humans are um pretty interesting uh, <laughs> outcomes of biology you know what yeah I mean? however um a lot of the argument um, that I've been analyzing is about biological egalitarianism. Do you, does all life have the same value or does it not? Mm. And do we accept this? Do we not? And I think that if we, if we were to give the same amount of value to all things living, uh, we would have, you know, trees would have the same values as a human. There's like obviously issues that, that arise from this, but that would if that's the case, I don't think overpopulation would be an issue because we'd be living more sustainably. Mm. However, uh, you know, we can't have an infinite amount of people on the planet. Cannot happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, can, can, sorry, can you describe like how we would make us more sustainable real quick too, oh, just to, to give life sure. all equal value? Uh, yeah. How that so, might work? Cause I'm just um, curious on that. You could look at, there are, um, you know, what I think in academia people call the global South, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, developing countries and, um, you know, which if you're super against colonialism and, and all that, you know, we, as the developed world extracted a bunch of resources from these places and then used it to build up uh, our culture and develop and industrialize and these things. And so, um, now looking at, you know, places like India or, um, uh, you know, Bangladesh, th- these places, you know, the person that lives there doesn't, doesn't use, um, a year's worth of resources. Like, have you, have you, um, I'm sure we've seen some of the clocks and stuff on online where, you know, you've used, um, by like, for me personally, by March 17th of every year, I've used all of the resources with my lifestyle. And now I start borrowing from the next year. Oh, wow. And that's something that happens in the developed world. And, mm. and in the non-developing world, that's not always the case. And so if, I'm not saying that we need to adopt a lifestyle like that, but there are ways that we could live um, that lower our carbon footprint that don't extract resources from next year. So things like having your own home garden, things Mm -hmm. like using reusable bags, things, they're just individual life choices that, um, you could make that would lower it down. Um, there's a really cool website that you can kind of evaluate what you're doing, um, and how many earths you need. If everyone lived Uh. like you, how many earths would we need? (laughs) And I am personally at 4.5. Um, and I'm 
I'm striving, I'm striving to get down to get like down to that one. Yeah. Maybe that point eight even. They, yeah. That would be yeah. great. Like the point eight, you know, point seven, because, you know, I want my kids to have kids, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't want to be the last. Yeah. Um, so, um, but a lot of it comes down to personal, personal choice. And, you know, there are, there are some pretty strong arguments that say, you know, personal choice doesn't matter unless there's a system in place to stop free riders, people that are benefiting, still living, you know, with a lot of you know, hyper consumption lifestyle. And mm. then the rest of us cut back and we're the ones that are sacrificing yeah. just so that they can live. I don't know how I feel about that. It kind of like undercuts the impact of personal choice, but look at like mm. Boulder, mm-hmm. you know, um, like everywhere you look, there's compost recycling and, and there's and then landfill. And, and I'm sure that we're minimizing the amount of stuff going into land landfill. And if every city on the planet did that, it would matter. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, if that's the right action, we should be taking that too. We should be doing that. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think that's something I'm struggling with, you know, coming, you know, face to face with some of my lifestyle choices and, uh, critically looking at the lifestyle of the place that I live in in America and saying, you know, is this right? If everybody lived this way, it's kind of a Kantian response, but if everybody mm-hmm. lived this way, would it, would it work? And, and the answer is no. And mm-hmm. so uh, if that's the case, then maybe I should change. So I don't know if that answers your no, question. That, but I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, it opens a lot of more questions, but it's okay. also, yeah, it's a very good, yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating. That's something that like, I'm, I'm also just, experimenting and been thinking about a lot lately and like what are the values that we're all going to like try to i mean the dalai lama just posted recently Mm -hmm. about how we need a value shift we do and we need to start recognizing that we all are you know we talked about this before we're recording but just we're all in it together Mm -hmm. you know we're all citizens of the world we don't we're still spending way more time thinking about our differences and what separates us than we are thinking about what makes us the same and how we all can work on this together. You know, I think he's the way he put it is Absolutely. like, we all are born the same way. We all die the same way. Right. So what's the, what's the, this in between, like right. us trying to pretend that we're, you know, separate. And it's, you know, yeah, there are <coughs> geological differences and there are or geological geographical differences mm-hmm. and there are ethnic differences. Um, but ultimately we're cut from the same genetic thread, mm-hmm. you know, and we do all live in the same place. It'd be like saying that, you know, the room upstairs is a different place than the room down here. Like really, if the house is the <laughs> world, we all live in the house, yeah. like you're saying. And so, um, our, va- our value system, I think was developed from a place of abundance, mm. uh, borderless lands, you know, mm-hmm. and we haven't really ad- adjusted to a, a high tech interconnected world mm. where you have, you know, hundred people with modern logging equipment can destroy an, an entire ecosystem. Whereas a hundred people with logging equipment, 200, 300 years ago, couldn't do that. Maybe 200 years ago, but three, four, you know, like just yeah. even in the recent future oh, yeah. or recent past, you know, you couldn't do that. And so, you know, it requires a value shift as technology improves and, and, you know, as like automation and AI and, and everything um, starts touching everything, mm-hmm. we would absolutely be corrosive to the environment. Well, we are corrosive to the environment without a value shift. So we do need a value shift. Yeah. Is moss as important as humans? I don't know, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's tough, maybe right? something because in there. Ultimately, life sustains on itself. You know, mm-hmm. we eat things. You know, if, if you're going to give plants the same amount of weight too, then. I mean, what are you going to do? Would you starve yourself? Like, what do you There like, are what, issues. Yeah, you know, there are issues like, with this idea. And there's bacteria living inside you that, right. you know, you could give weight to. And there's there's all kinds of different things that right. play into it. So, um, 
trying to get that more symbiotic relationship seems. And that's it. And I think that symbiosis with the environment is the goal. Mm-hmm. And um, what that means, I don't necessarily know, like in the details, but um, there are plenty of systems we see that are biological systems that um, are symbiotic mm. almost in their entirety. And well, in their entire, there are systems that are symbiotic 100% in, in their entirety. And um, we can find a way to interact with the world in the same way we have the technology we understand the science it's a value it's it's an ethical thing right mm-hmm. like ethics are prescriptive they tell you what you ought to do science is descriptive the science describes ways we can do this yeah. but our value system is what's not allowing us to say we ought to do that yeah so it is, i think it is a value shift yeah 100 percent. and uh it's i mean i'm excited to see you know how we figure this out because yeah. we're gonna it's like start to feel this global ethic mm-hmm. start to be talked about at yeah. least you know we're Le- talking about leopold it. leopold <laughs> calls it a land ethic a land ethic well, that's what he says oh, aldo cool. leopold i don't know how i feel about him but uh <laughs> he's I mean, maybe he's on something yeah when well, it's gonna seem to trend i mean again this is throwing it back to this dalai lama article i just read or whatever but the, he's a G. it's gonna he's g for sure <laughs> um, it's gonna transcend uh religious boundaries it's gonna yeah. it kind of has to because mm-hmm. you know it's not really about your belief in in a higher power or things like this now it's just about what you believe in mm-hmm. for all of humanity and it's like even if you don't believe in anything we all need kind of like to agree about like what what is the human ethic going to look like right the human ethic yeah because mm-hmm. either way whether you do believe in a higher power or not um you are here right now you know what happens yeah. after in the afterlife we'll figure it out then in my mind mm-hmm. you know but i know for sure that we're here right now <laughs> yeah, i don't yeah. know what i believe in as far as the afterlife divinity, I yeah. mean, from a physics standpoint, I have yeah. a very defined answer, but, um, I don't, uh, I, what I know is that I know that I'm here now and I know that I likely have kids and I know that I have a partner and I know I have a family and I know I have people that depend on me making responsible decisions. That's what I know. Mm. And so I'm going to act as such. And that's, I hope <laughs> to find some sort of like moral framework in that, but, um, yeah. Well, when we're all still on that learning journey, you know, so we'll see how it goes. But like, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. It's been like more and more conversations that I hear and more Mm -hmm. and more conversations that come up around the globe. It's Mm -hmm. just like, we're, we're all talking about it now. We're all starting to really talk and communicate with each other just in a different way. And we're all starting to realize like, well, let's figure this out. You know, like, Mm -hmm. what are we doing? Um, and it kind of comes back to that even like individual versus community and empathy and stuff. It's like, we're starting to kind of almost as a society kind of transition in certain ways sure from like focusing on ourselves as individuals mm-hmm. as maybe part of something bigger mm-hmm. um <clears throat> who knows i don't know that's for sure but i'm i'm, I'm feeling <laughs> that shift. To talk about it yeah, yeah I'm, uh, well i know you got to get out of here pretty soon so let me get these fan questions bit. okay okay sick um we just had a few and sure. I'll, I'll just throw them at you real quick our mutual friend jay siley also former <laughs> podcast guest i like jace asks you uh what made you so good at all types of tricks the nickname trictionary was accurate oh okay why was i wide and deep both in my mm-hmm. tricking seals um i think that i had a um i think that i had a unique approach at that point in 
Tricking's development where you were either labeled as a a kicker or you were labeled as a twister. And I saw the value in both of them. Mm -hmm. Additionally, I rejected the framework of uh, terminology Mm -hmm. at the time that I thought was extremely restrictive in how you looked at um, tricks and their their transitions. Mm -hmm. If you looked at things from from the perspective of in-air rotation and then you accounted for on-ground rotation, in your transition, um, it allowed you to kind of see some of the nuanced transitions. Mm. And so by doing that, it allowed me to, to go wide with my tricks because mm. I could do each of the transitions. You could blend. Before even a lot of triggers knew that they were there, and I didn't really know what they were called. I just knew that most people were swinging off of one foot, and I could swing in four different directions. Oh, wow. You know, and or in four different ways. And, you know, I didn't... It, you fought against the old world a little bit, but I think that it was seeing it from that perspective, that if you accounted for something else and you broke apart what they were looking at, you could see nuances. Mm-hmm. And that, and you know, if you just did the normal power stuff, plus these nuanced things, you, you had the appearance of being wide and deep. Mm-hmm. And I think that was uh, key to that. Good stuff. Thanks, Thanks. for your question. Uh, yeah. We've got Dylan Poland. I don't know if you're Dylan Poland. friends or know him very well. He's a well-known parkour practitioner out of boston i think so he has a gym called hub yes um he says he wants to know what he thinks about the tricking community at large in 2019 slash the gatherings at large oh uh okay so i don't know if i'm probably the best person to give you a uh an exhaustive list of these things but um what i've noticed is some of What I think that we saw uh, mm-hmm. might happen has come to pass, you know, the the marketing and um, the wow factor of tricking has been um, has been made very, um, very clear. You know, mm-hmm. you can see the benefit of having like I, I, you can't watch the Super Bowl anymore without seeing trickers mm-hmm. disguised or performances like Katy Perry, you know, all these guys, you know, you, you see tricking everywhere now. You see it in the Marvel movies. Yeah. And companies have taken uh, taken notice. And so, you know, in places you have some money being injected into tricking. And I, I think it's for a marketing standpoint. I don't necessarily think it's for growth reasons. Mm. Um, and then you have like kind of the homegrown guys that are trying to keep their community um, uh, growing and, and um, developing. And, and I think that there's one side. I think both sides are important. Um, I think you do need to have... A, a bit more of a structure in mm. events and, and gatherings and things like that. But um, I'm not so sure how I feel about non-tricking companies being a part of it, even sport karate companies. Mm-hmm. Um, because, but then again, you know, uh, we tricking was that at one point, right? We mm-hmm. were the people that were bastardizing sport karate <laughs> and everything. So like, yeah. who am I to judge? But, um, but ultimately I, I do hear a few things that I really enjoy. Mm. And I heard, a number of times calls online for guest trickers to act like guests. Like you're working the event, you're working, you're not just there to get high and do acid and like, Mm. you're not hanging out with your friends. You're there to talk to the parents. You're there to talk to the kids. You're there to teach workshops pro bono because they flew you out 
to build revenue for the event. Like you're there for these things. Mm-hmm. This is something that I really called for in tricking. And, and I got a lot of flack for from some people because they were the, obviously they were the ones getting high. They were the <laughs> ones that I was like condemning. <laughs> like, yeah, hey. it makes sense. You're mad. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It makes sense. But, um, and I'm seeing that now that, that now that's kind of standard when I was just at, um, trick different Luis said it very very clear you know and you could see him policing the people that were there and he was like hey you know and i don't know the exact conversations he was having but you could see where he was like there was a few times where he was like hey you know i need you to go talk to this person i need you to go talk to that or but you could also see that the people that came out were engaged in his community's crowd so like they talked to the dads they talked to the moms they'd move people back so that little kids or new trickers could go and do their tricks and that's that's the kind of growth we need to see, mm-hmm. you know, in tricking. That's the kind of culture that we need to be cultivating. You saw it in breakdancing recently where, you know, if you're like people that, that throw out the middle finger are kind of condemned now, you know, oh, really, I actually didn't know that. That's, I mean, that's what I see here in Denver anyways, mm-hmm. you know, if we're like putting down, like if you have a young B-boy crew and mm-hmm. you're clearly better, have a respectable dance, don't like put them down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's like very contrast to how battling used to be and it's very contrast it's very, how it used to be very broad right you, you know egocentric and just like right and and so i'm seeing this shift and and i think it's a more of an artistic shift away from the competitive you can still be competitive but respectful mm-hmm. there are some trickers that have not caught on to this more of a cooperative sense right and yeah like uh the, the anti ethan turner and um uh who is he battling um I don't know. It was the final battle at Trick Different. It was very much a conversation between the two, not an I'm trying to best you. I'm trying to be better than you or show mm-hmm. that I'm better than you. They were just having a conversation. They were putting on a show, and that was beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, really. And I can't speak for some of the other events, though. I can really only speak about the ones that I see now. But mm-hmm. um, I wish, one, I wish I had more context. Um, studying STEM doesn't really allow you to jump yeah, out into other things. <laughs> However... Um, there are still remnants of the companies working together broadly in tricking. And that is good. Mm. Whatever's left of that, I don't know. I don't know how. I still see stuff about the tour and, and everything. And, and that was like a vision come true, the tour. But um, I hope my, I guess my, my answer to that is that one, I don't necessarily know. But two, uh, I hope that these events and the culture starts to reflect the uh, artistic that you can be that you can be competitive and supportive at the same time mm-hmm. and that you can be artistic um and that your your focus is on the lifeblood of the sport which is the new people the parents the kids it's not about you anymore you know and I, and I saw that at trick different it wasn't about the guys that were really good it was about the new kids and it was about the young guys and that that right there mm-hmm. if i knew nothing else about tricking and i only knew that event i would think tricking was was gonna explode mm. because if everybody did that again personal action if, if everybody did this the whole world would be different mm. and so um trick different did it right that's that's what i know about the the american cool. tricking scene right now trick different did it right and we're about to have tsg and i'm gonna be at tsg i'm gonna drop in where i can i'm still in class but mm. <laughs> um I don't, I don't take time off so um but hopefully it's there at tsg too i believe it will be so yeah um yeah thanks for sharing i think that's pretty much it dylan had another question i think but we i think we kind of covered it it was about your time in the army and hard how hard it was slash wasn't to keep training (laughs) 
uh, it was hard to keep training. <laughs> um, yeah, we were like shooting on the range and stuff and I wanted to just be tricking. It was really hard to focus. Yeah. It was really hard to like train to kill people that I didn't know oh, yeah. um, when I'd rather just be doing tricks. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, know, these are in countries and places with trickers. Like, I yeah. don't know what I'm doing, you know, like I went to Israel and there was a bunch of really cool kids. I saw Palestinians and Israelis um, hanging out on the floor together and that was really cool oh, to wow. see that that tricking was like a voice of peace between them. And so, um, at least I think so. That's what they said. They said that this was an, but you know, even if that's not true, the, the idea is, is huge. And so it's a difficult, it was really difficult for me in, in the military to engage with the violence. Mm-hmm. Um, I was good at it, you know, like I was really a good shot and, mm-hmm. you know, I could, I was a missile guy. I was actually missile based artillery. And oh, wow. so, you know, I was good at it, but it was hard to connect with it. Yeah, so, I'm sure. I just wanted right. to do tricks. Final question. This Final is kind question. of a beast of one, but I just thought of it because okay. it kind of like, I think it touches on a lot of what we talked about today. How, how do you think we can celebrate and, and, um, appreciate and empathize with the super giants, let's call them of the world while simultaneously growing a more, maybe mature community based mm. culture for not just tricking, but for maybe the entire planet, you know? Um, I think, I think that the super giants are a product of the culture they came from mm. their, their demeanor and mm-hmm. their value system is a product of the culture they came from. And so the best thing that I think we can do to interact better with future super giants is to build them out of this culture, which you do see. I think, mm-hmm. I think the, the kids that are coming out of uh, the sport now that are, bec- or the sports now that are becoming really good are aware that they need to be connected to the community. Mm-hmm. But as far as the current ones, um, probably on their their terms unfortunately <laughs> um uh and hopefully we just uh we fact i think i think part of it comes in into us as as the members of the community and the promoters and the uh, leaders is the value of this super giant shouldn't necessarily only be related to their ability to do tricks mm-hmm. you should you should wait their personality you should wait their actions you should wait what they say their message as much as you wait their skills and if you do that you're prioritizing the right people mm. when you prioritize the right people that becomes the voice that becomes the um the standard and the guys that don't fall in line become the outliers and if they want to be accepted they're going to have to fall in line mm. and so i think what we can do because again we can't change them right um <laughs> we can only focus on ourselves sure and what we want to do and and so i think that it's changing how we value them and what we've and where we we weight the value um and then being willing to hold that standard even if there's maybe a business decision that makes more sense like do you mm. bring giant a out or do you bring giant B out and giant B may, maybe is more in align with this, but giant A is better at the sport than mm-hmm. them. That's where you're going to have to like fall in line or not really fall in line, but, but you're gonna have to make a hard decision and say, I'm going to take the guy that has an abnormally higher um, weight to his message and, and, and mm-hmm. what he represents over the guy that is abnormally good at the, the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and from, you know, a young tricker standpoint, a young parkour standpoint, I don't think people really care. Like, yeah, they get all awestruck, but uh, an elite tricker is an elite tricker. They're, they're 
obviously a video game character like <laughs> they move different than everyone else it's still awe-inspiring it's just they, they might not have all the like summons and superpowers and, and like huge spells and stuff that like you see the the fringe guys have but mm-hmm. seeing like a dub dub or like a triple cork in combo or something like that it's kind of common nowadays but a lot of trickers don't see that and so you still get the awe inspiring moments you still get the excitement and then if that tricker comes in and learns your name and and helps you as a young tricker you're never going to forget that mm. more than just seeing a great tricker yeah that connection with them is i think more important um than yeah. it is just seeing tricks you can go onto youtube and see tricks but you can't talk to those people you can't sit and have a conversation with them no no so no. yeah and i think ultimately what we'll find out is that if we do change this relationship a little bit the super giants will actually burn brighter you know oh yeah potentially because it's good. It's it, it's it cultivates more of the self, mm-hmm. and that makes more cultivate means there's more to express on the sure. tricking mat or on um, you know some building and parkour feels like, um, you know, <clears throat> yeah. I'm excited for it. That's all I can say, I guess. Yeah. And I agree. I agree with you. I think that's a it's a hundred percent. We got to kind of take personal responsibility about what we want to see, celebrate what we want to see, and um, not necessarily hate on or anything, but just don't support that's what you're what you're not interested in that's a huge point it's not about destroying what you hate it's about building what you love Mm -hmm. and um the people who destroy what they hate uh are clearly cancerous Mm. and you know we fall into those patterns i'm not gonna say like i'm immune from that i've done that in the past Mm -hmm. but we should seek to build what we love and that will uh that will grow uh and take over the things that we hate you know especially now in today's America. (laughs) Um, it's, it's really easy to, and I, I still vilify some people that I don't like. Um, but, uh, ultimately I should be focusing on the things that I love building up the things I love. And, um, I think that always will speak to the the throes of history better, Mm. you know, because the, the leaders of tomorrow are looking back on our actions to learn. And so we should be, should be building what we love. Yeah. So hundred percent. I think that's a great note to end on. Cool. Um, thank you so much, man, for being a part of it. It's been really fun talking to you. Yeah, Had thanks for having wonderful me. Wonderful time, man. I appreciate great conversation. it. Uh, you guys will be able to see whatever you want them to see in the description. I'll get all the links and stuff developed. Um, but that was it. All right. Cheers. Thanks, brother. Thank you. All right, gang. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Nick Vale as much as I did. Uh, thanks again, Nick, for being a part of it. I can't wait to continue that conversation with you down the road here. And and I hope you guys are going to be a part of that one, too. Uh, make sure you go to the description, follow all the links if you want to support the podcast or get in touch to, you know, see, tell us what, what other guests you want to see, what other questions you want to see asked. Um what you liked maybe what you didn't like whatever it is uh we appreciate anyone that gets in touch and just gets involved and helps us you know continue growing this out so thank you guys and thank you nick and thank you uh question submitters people that were part of the poll on this episode Um, we're going to try to do that more often and uh and that's it that's it gang um anyone catch that deontay wilder fight by the way